baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Mike, can we talk about dumb criminals? You know, I thought you'd never ask, Chris. I've been doing news for 40 years, and the dumb criminal stories just become a blur after a while. There's so many of them. But we've been doing this show for almost a year, and we still haven't touched on them until right now. We were just waiting for the right moment, but I'm sure over 40 years you've accumulated quite the number of stories. I could write a book. I think a lot of times we look at criminals and people who committed crimes as this line between good and evil. And in reality, I completely disagree. And I think people do bad things. And I think they sit with those questions themselves and they go through the same process that we might. I'm Mike Rogers. Chris Blake is one of our producers. And this week, I spoke with Caitlin Devaney, a criminology professor at Northwestern University. I study neighborhood-level violence and kind of the larger structures that we often forget to look at when we look at neighborhood violence and more direct violence. We'll get into that, along with community policing, the complexity of our criminal justice system in general, and... Yeah, those dumb criminals in this week's episode of Something Offbeat. You're in Chicago. you got a million case studies right there. Right. What is your opinion? Because people in other parts of the country, we hear so much about what a disaster it is and the crime problem in Chicago. Is it? It is. It is. We, we have a crime problem, but I will say crime has increased in Chicago during COVID, just as it has in other large urban cities, it wasn't specific to Chicago. I believe in kind of unwinding some areas that we use policing that I believe a lot of incredible community organizations want to fill in. And I believe in kind of filling in the gap that police serve that they do not need to serve. And I know that word is scary for a lot of people because the first thing people think are decrease the number of cops, get rid of them. Cops aren't calling when you call, but it's a very different story. It's a story of when you have, say, a domestic dispute and you don't want your partner to go to jail, you just want the action to stop, who comes and who can serve people without it being a direct line into incarceration? Do you find that when we talk about the crime problem in big cities across the country, is it frustrating or inevitable that it always comes around to race? I mean, it depends on how you understand crime. I understand crime as a response to a lot of large structural issues. If you look at it as that, then it's not a race issue in terms of who's committing the crimes more, but who is experiencing these structural levels of violence more in a way that then it responds from direct violence. And if you frame the question like that, Absolutely, there are racial differences because racial groups experience structural violence and political violence and racial violence and legal violence differently, right? And then then you see neighborhood violence come at a higher level. I'm on the air every morning for five hours, and it is rare that a morning goes by that we don't do a story about some bad guy or woman, some criminal doing something really, really stupid. Mm-hmm. 
Chris, one of my recent favorites is a story out of northern Nevada. Just last week, Elko County Sheriff's deputies, they tried to pull over a 28-year-old man who tried to get away from them, of course. And he did actually get away from them for a while. But eventually they caught him, and it wasn't a difficult arrest either. He crashed his car onto the front steps of the local sheriff's office. I guess they didn't have to go too far to book him into jail. About 20 feet, actually, (laughs) from the car to the jail cell. You can't make these stories up. One of the ones I came across that I really liked while researching for this episode happened where else but Florida. Authorities arrested two people in Flagler County who stole a bright pink tractor trailer and tried to conceal it by spray painting it red. The only problem? They were painting it in the parking lot of a day's inn. Naturally, someone (laughs) saw them and called the police. My favorite may be the guy who robbed a liquor store, but before he left, he asked out the clerk. She said yes and asked him for his name and number, and he gave it to her. Or the guy who broke into a house, found an urn full of cocaine, and started snorting it only to realize that it wasn't cocaine. It was what you'd think would be in an urn. That's right, he was snorting grandma. We get those kinds of stories all the time. And I just, it strikes me as I, as I hear them over and over with just slight variations on them. I always say, you know, never underestimate the stupidity of the criminal elements. Am I wrong on that? I think, I mean, not to be too academic, but people who commit crimes are just like the rest of us. It is a heterogeneous group of people You know, I think we're trained in society to think of criminals as people who are high level, organized, go in with these plans, you know, to take society over. And we're trained like that. And then we come up with these really punitive policies to stop people. When in reality, people commit crimes are very much like us. You have brilliant people who spend time. You have people who do it in the heat of the moment. And they make silly mistakes. They're very much like us. There's adrenaline going. There's fear. There's all the emotions that we would feel they feel. You mentioned adrenaline. And, and I was going to say, you know, when you commit a crime, when you do something like that, I would imagine you're, you're really worked up. You're pumped up. And I don't know, you, you tend maybe to forget about simple things that could help you get away with it. Sure. I mean, we have science about it, right? Like there are certain parts during high intense situations where certain parts of your brain shut off. You're not thinking about consequences. You're in fight or flight and you make silly mistakes. I mean, I make silly mistakes all the time checking out of a grocery store. These are all people like us. I spent a lot of time talking to people in prison. Many of them are never getting out and they'll talk about their crimes. And I see myself more in them than I don't. You know, the fear you weren't thinking, the fear you had talking to the police the next day in which you didn't say anything you should have said. I think it's really humanizing to hear some of these stories because they're really not these groups of people who are taking over the world. Could economic inequality factor into this at all? Absolutely. I think it plays into desperation. I think it plays into, in my research, what we're seeing is I think a lot of us look at a decision to commit a crime as a cost and benefit analysis, when in reality, there are a lot of factors that play in with economic inequality that simply are stronger for the benefit for the person who's committing the crime. Things like feelings of respect, feelings of power in the moment. If you live in a world where you don't have a say in a lot of ways, and all of a sudden there's a lot of attention on you, be it bad or good, it's something that people strive for. And I think we're seeing that actually with a lot of social media crimes. 
Mike, I used social media, okay, actually the internet as a whole, to track down some examples of people incriminating themselves. My favorite? An Italian mafia fugitive who was arrested in the Dominican Republic a couple of years ago after he posted cooking videos on YouTube. And he tried, he hid his face, but not his many tattoos on his arms, which tipped off authorities. So he was thinking, he just wasn't thinking enough. Exactly. How about the Florida woman, again, Florida, who live-streamed herself driving drunk. And there were some people who saw her on Periscope. You remember that app? And uh, they called police. They pulled her over and administered a field sobriety test, which, of course, she failed. And speaking of drunk driving, I about the woman who got pulled over and told the cop, Hey, I'm not drunk. Now, my husband, who's just behind me, he's really drunk. I guess people have probably done dumb things committing crimes for a long time. We just hear about it more now because everybody posts about it. Everyone posts about it and there's something about people. It, it, it crosses, you know, the test of time and space, right? People want to be respected. People want to be known. People want to be admired. Now, a lot of us, you, you take the economic question we're talking about, and we have a lot of societally approved means for attaining those things, for feeling respected, for feeling valued. Now, if you live in an area in which a lot of those opportunities are scarce, you have the ability to feel those things through violence, through criminal means, from posting it. Being feared is powerful, right? In a world where you don't have a lot of opportunities for feeling powerful. And now social media has allowed us to show everybody and to exaggerate this persona that we're able to develop and kind of exaggerate it to the world. What are some common mistakes you think that these quote unquote dumb criminals tend to make more often than not? The ones that I see the most are, it's not an exciting answer, but not fully understanding the procedural model. You know, you commit a crime and then you fall into the questioning part of like, oh, you have to tell us this. Or, you know, you get arrested and you answer the questions you don't need to answer. That's not an exciting answer in terms of like leaving an ID when you rob a bank or whatever. But I think a lot of it is not and it's our problem, the average citizen not knowing the procedural justice model enough to know your rights, what you have to say, what you don't have to say, and committing a crime and then being the main witness in, in your trial, right? Saying incriminating things and not realizing yeah. that they're incriminating. Absolutely. I, I People don't really know their rights through the process. And I think the criminal justice system takes advantage of that. I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Berry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Chris Blake. Original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got your own offbeat story that you think we should dig into, please send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 